hello everybody. So can you believe that we're having a show here? This is The Curious Creative. I'm Nicolette and it's great to be here. And I've got Salim Mavelu in the studio. She's a futurologist and she's an, uh, an amazing woman just talking about literally as an expert how we can get our minds in get our minds on track away from digital and technology or with digital and technology overall so that we are wholesome and that we are leading a life that allows us to stay within our creative genius. Now, <laughs> that's what this show is all about. <laughs> Whilst we're off air, I totally got digitally distracted <laughs> by a new infogram thingy that's going on behind me <laughs> on the TV. <laughs> and Salima was like, don't get distracted. I was like, oh yes. And then sorting everything out, we were totally, hands up, totally distracted by our digital contraptions. And that is just a pure example of how, without even meaning to, you get sucked in to this technological world that one day we're going to wake up and, as we said last time, find ourselves literally tapped into the refrigerator, as I said last time. So so let me just go straight in and welcome Salima. Hi, Salima. <laughs> Hi, Nicolette. <laughs> how are you doing, hon? I'm good. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's just unplug ourselves and be very present and very here. Oh, yes. Deep breath. Everybody inhale. <laughs> Everybody <And> exhale. <laughs> okay, we're good. Okay, so we're back in the house now. So welcome to another Curious Creative Show on Riverside Radio. And I am Nicolette. And this is the local radio show that supports the creative in learning who they are so that they can authentically focus on what they do. Now, this week, we're back with technology and how the digital world will impact us in the future as creatives if we don't get a handle on it. I've invited Salima back into the studio. Salima is a futurologist, a digital mental health consultant. She's also an author, writing a book as we speak. And she's a keynote speaker as well. And I've invited her back into the studio to offer her expertise really on how this can all work and put some insight into it. And I'm really glad that her busy schedule has permitted her to join me a second time. So thank you, Salima. You're welcome. Now, we left the last show understanding what digital distraction and dependency are. Salima explained all about that, the relationship between technology and our mental health and why we need to think about coexisting with technology in a spiritual and a scientific way. Now, if you missed it, please do go to anchor.fm so that you can catch last week's show. But you can catch all the other Curious Creative shows there as well. Now, a survey conducted by e-consultancy and Adobe surveyed more than 2,600 senior creative and design professionals, and it revealed that creative and design leaders are very much concerned with the issue of emerging technology, but in a way that might be more negative than positive. And when asked about the top three external challenges they face, which effectively keep them awake at night, 42% of company respondents and 51% of company respondents cited emerging technologies to keep up with. That was the biggest fear that they had as their top three challenge. Now this week, I'd like to bring our attention to the digital involvement we have with technology and our brain you realize that our brain is our center. You know, if that stops, 
you know, lobotomy is where literally they just take parts of your brain out and then you're just a vegetable. So if we don't have this hard drive that drives us, we have nothing. And it's so important that we look after it, positive mental health. And our mental health will always be influenced by what is around us. And it determines how we view our world the world around us, the relationships we have, how we interact. And I believe that this digital world that's evolving here, the AI and all of the stuff that's supposed to be helping us to move forwards, to stay better connected, I actually believe is disconnecting us. And it's not just even disconnecting us from each other, it's disconnecting us from ourselves. Because if you're spending so much time with something you're tapping and something you're listening to and something you're talking into, how much time are you connecting with you? So I would really like for Salima to share with us today what the impact is on our brain and why we really need to be thinking about our future with the new technology coming forwards, which if we're not careful could actually result in poor poor mental health. So, Salima, can you just tell me a little bit more about the, uh, no, sorry, let me ask you a different question. We're, we're going to talk about the effects on the brain with technology here. And so I'd love it if you could just share with us, uh, I've managed to completely lose the question that I wanted to ask you. <laughs> I've become distracted again. Oh my goodness, I'm living proof. Can you tell us more about the digital effects on the brain from technology? I can, but um, before I do, maybe this analogy will help people uh, visualize the concept of what you're just what you've just said Mm. very rightly. So when we look at the brain, the brain, if we look at the brain, uh, the brain and the mind, in one unit and then we look at technology and software Mm -hmm. in the other unit Mm -hmm. and what we see really is how we can make the comparisons because our brain is the hardware the technology the structures are the hardware the software for humans is the mind yeah and the software the ai is the software for technology excuse me So I think that is something that we should maybe conceptualize in a way to understand the polarities between us as humans and machines Mm -hmm. and the similarities at the same time. Because we are, we touched on this, I, as far as I remember in the last show, Mm -hmm. but we are automized to a certain degree because that's how our brains were built everything we do comes from the brain how we move the signals free will which is a whole nother subject for a whole nother time (laughs) but um these the way the brain computes movement helps us understand and navigate the world that's really important to remember yeah in regards to the digital effects on our brain from technology, the more and more research I do and the more and more experts I come into contact with, I actually see that technology is just one part of the equation 
that is creating the issues within the human psyche is actually the software that is more damaging because the software is the algorithms and it's the algorithms that consciously or unconsciously affect our behaviors and how our decision making process yes because the algorithms are about decision making yes exactly exactly so Neuroimaging research has shown, and this is not just one research um, evidence, you know, it's not empirical uh, evidence from just one research program, but for many, many research programs that have been carried out where they've analyzed the brain by using um, fMRI to see what areas of the brain are degraded to a certain extent, not upgraded, but degraded due to prolonged exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, what University College London um, found, and they did a, a very good research survey on this, was that there are a lot of structural and functional changes found in particular regions of the brain that involve the way we process um, emotions. So emotional processes, our impulse control, which comes back to our addictions. Obviously, that impulse, like the impulse that you had (laughs) to get distracted. Um, Executive attention, uh, decision-making, and cognitive control. So according to this one particular research survey that I'm referencing here from the University College London, UCL, media multitasking so we're not just talking about multitasking as in general multitasking which again doesn't exist and I'll come on to that in a minute that's just a myth but we're talking here about media multitasking so a good example of that would be what you just said to your lovely listeners that you were trying to find something you were getting distracted by the visuals because we are visual people Um, so multi Uh, media multitasking and this tendency to rapidly switch from Instagram to your dashboard to your phone to your iPad and to your computer actually weakens one of the areas in the brain that is particular that particularly is weakened by this behavior is the anterior cingulate cortex and and why this is important is along with the amygdala it is responsible for how we process emotion yeah okay so that is just just one aspect so does that mean then if we've got this constant moving from one to the next to the next to the one to the one to the next, it's kind of diminishing our ability to measure our emotions, to connect with our emotions, to understand our emotions, to determine our emotions, to be emotional. And to determine which are your emotions and the emotions which are opinions of other people. Right. So that is where the damage can be done in the sense that you lose your sense of value and identity because you're not able to process your emotion, your physical, your uh, not physical, but your actual own emotion. How, how can you distinguish between what's your emotion and what's somebody else's emotion that you see prescribed or highlighted in any sort of form of social media post? So as an example, is this like looking on, um, you know, an Instagram post and seeing someone either, we're usually extremely happy, usually doing something that's wonderful and fantastic because life is always like that. (laughs) So they're doing all of that stuff 
and you come away from it and go to somewhere else but somewhere you've processed that information and somewhere you've taken on that she's having a great time and everything's wonderful mm. or he's looking good and, and how great is that now with that emotional response we're going to get a response from ourselves aren't we mm -hmm. they're looking good I look rubbish or yeah. they're looking good why can't I be like them and is that the sort of thing you mean when you're not determining actually what your own emotions are mm. because they're being dictated by what you're seeing which is influencing and you're reacting you're not acting reaction is the key point here so you could have I'll give you an example um, let me think of a really good example. So yesterday mm. I had my email open. Yeah. I had my Facebook open, which I don't normally use Facebook. You normally use Instagram. And I saw something. Oh, I had LinkedIn open as well. So I had about five applications running at the same time. Because that's what we do. Because that's what we do. <laughs> Even though we're Even here me. to try and support Even people me. not to. I know. <laughs> we live in this world. We don't have we to be do. of it though. No, exactly. <laughs> and that is the distinct difference. But I just, so going back to what you were saying, it can also be that you see something, you're in a really good mood, for example. Mm. Then you see something on social media and you think, oh, well, why isn't, why aren't why can't my life look like that or why isn't that happening to me maybe i'm not worthy and then you go and you're on another application and this is what this is referring to media multitasking you go on to another application like linkedin and you see someone pinch your idea and you're like hold on a minute <laughs> hold on a minute that was my concept right so the and then we've got these we've got these fluctuating emotions so the amygdala is like whoa what's, what's going, going on, on? What's you know going on? and also it's not just the amygdala the insula is is about um the emotional sense of self so the insula is affected by that the hippocampus is i mean the hippocampi is normally about memory but it is involved in emotional processing as well mm -hmm. so you know there's so many areas in the brain so many regions and then areas within in 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 each region so we've got multi-faceted areas of the brain and contained within that are facets that do different things and a lot of them <laughs> do actually multitask in a word in a in the way that they speak to each other through electrical impulses yes it's not just one thing so it's, it's very interesting to, to see um, in fMRI you see it, but there's also in TMS where you see the, the increase in blood flow go up and down in the brain due to what you're exposing, what stimuli you're exposing that patient mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. your guinea pig yeah. <laughs> to. So that's very interesting to see um, from that perspective. But I think that it is a worry because if we look at it this way, our senses, and I was having this conversation, I was at a big event last night and I was talking to a couple of couple of neuroscientists actually, it was a health, um, wealth to health event. We were talking about wellness and we were looking at the fields of technology and what's coming up through the wellness trends as well. But we were looking at the authenticity of what what achievable outcomes are there with these technologies and what's the what's the purpose of that i digress a little bit but the important thing here is that our emotion and our cognition so our thinking which is our cognition and our emotional responses are our, our senses are getting bombarded 
by this overstimuli. So that poses, you know, <laughs> we, there was an example like, you can, for example, you can put a virtual headset on and do a yoga class. Yeah. But what you're doing by doing the yoga class virtually is that your senses are still working over time to process and, logi and logistically put all the pieces of the puzzle together to enable you to do the class or the meditation. Therefore, your senses are having to work, your brain is still having to work over time to adjust to what is different from the norm that from the normality of doing it in a like you and me sitting here yeah we haven't got virtual headsets on so it has a different effect on how people respond and perceive things so actually what we're doing is we're really subjecting our senses especially our thinking patterns and our emotions are getting bombarded with all this technology when you take the headset off it's like whoa okay have to readjust back to normality yeah. i don't know if that's the way forward and a couple of these guys from a company they, they're swiss neuroscientists called metaphysics and i really like their concept they haven't made it consumer based yet but they're looking to do that and they have developed pads for the feet so you technically you could make them into like some form of shoes or slippers and at the moment they're they're like two footsteps on a mat and they've done loads of research with their pilot program and one hotel chain is already trialing it with their guests from a wellness perspective where you put your feet on these pads and it gives you the sense of what it would be like. It feeds all the senses that would be involved on you sitting on a beach somewhere. And you've got headphones on as well. So you're hearing and you're feeling, it's going into the senses. It's not visual at all. So you're not looking at anything. It's, it's actually, as you know, with yoga, we talk about pratyahara, withdrawal of the senses to go to go back inside and I really like this concept that they've got and it was interesting because Tuka Solomon was on one of the he was speaking last night as well and he really liked the concept however how do you make that for the consumer mm. you know what would that look like but that that would be a really good respite if you're with technology all the time to be able to have a device like that that restores the balance within the primary senses the brain then that would be like a form of healing and the you know the question was well can't you just do that for meditation no you can't because meditation is you only can't you're de-stressing yourself doing meditation there's no sense of smell touch feel there's none of that going on you're actually trying to do the opposite so actually that's where the two are completely different so watch out for these guys um because i think that will be interesting to see how uh, how they develop and and they were very concerned with the impact of living in this digitized society that's creating more stress as we're just saying what could they build that would be different that would give our senses a temporary reprieve from the over stimuli basically that that software there's not necessarily in the technology it's the software like i'm sitting here looking at these cool graphics mm. that are flashing up in front of me but in order to process that 
this is media multitasking. I'm talking to you, I'm looking at my points on my iPad and then I'm getting distracted by the visuals. Yeah. And this is what the this is what UCL are talking about. They're talking about this media multitasking. Right. And how doing that doesn't allow the brain to have the downtime that it needs to repair itself. Sleep. Like sleep, yes. But it has a, it has the same impact. If you are if you're multitasking, if you're media multitasking, then you are it's like your brain is in overdrive basically right okay let's go for a little break hello and welcome back you're listening to nicolette on riverside radio this is the curious creative and i've got salima with me talking all about digital technology the future and how we need to really embrace it by working with it living with it rather than fighting it i think that's part of what we're saying isn't it yeah I, I think that's definitely part of my message and that is definitely the message of the book is to help people you know to help create help people create more psychological and emotional flexibility mm. around this technology that's embedded itself into our culture and is growing day by day so tell me, dopamine is so important to our brain. And tell me a bit about how it affects the brain here. I will, but can we just touch on the, the eye strain as well? I would love that. Because Go for it. it. Just to finish off what we were talking about before the break, so so people can maybe think about this as they go around the week go around their weekend when we when we look at um how technology damages certain areas of the brain that are responsible for certain functions we could also well we also need to be aware that some of these symptoms that we may think are more traditional may actually be related to um, the technology we're using and a prime example of that is if you have noticed any changes in your sight if you have noticed that you've got more blurry vision or maybe your eyes are drier, getting more headaches. You know, if you're suffering from any of these symptoms, then the possibility is that you could be being affected by digital eye strain. And this is predominantly caused by our focus and also what we were just saying earlier, the media, multi, uh, media multitasking. Think about each device has a different screen. Mm. So we're looking at the harshness and the brightness from these different screens. If we're looking at them, if we're changing them or whether we're looking at them for a prolonged period of time and not blinking frequently, and it's, it's much worse when you have contact lenses, I know, because I wear contact lenses. But I experienced this myself when I was in the last year of university and I was spending a lot of time doing research and writing papers. And one day I went to look at my phone and I couldn't, I couldn't see any of the apps on my phone. It was just blurred. And I was like, what is going on here? And I was like holding my phone right in front of me, far away from me. And my eyesight couldn't adjust and normally it can adjust. And when I went to the optician, I had this young 20-year-old guy <laughs> say to me, well, madam, it's, you know you get old when someone calls you madam. It's partly your age. It was like, great, thanks. <laughs> Tell me something I don't already know. And he's like, but what's your usage of digital devices? Ding, ding. 
He said, how long have you been on your computer over the last 24 hours? And I said, probably about 20 hours of, that, of the 24 because I was working on finishing a paper. He's like, that is why you can't see clearly you need to take bigger breaks. So that was my personal experience of digital eye strain because I didn't even know that was a proper thing, but yeah. it is a proper thing. Mm. And so if we look at that, we can look at our behaviours around bedtime. Okay. Uh, from, from a screen perspective, of I mean, course. nothing else. <laughs> uh, before anybody goes in, it's like, what's she talking about? It's, not that, it's not that kind of show. <laughs> not that kind of show. So when we're looking at sleep our sleep patterns and how and what we do the hour before we go to bed as well as what we are doing just before we go to sleep so if you have a tv on your bedroom wall or you have devices phones ipads around you even if you're not looking at them and yes they do radiate low um electrical uh, electrical uh, radio waves but the the fact is that you shouldn't have had, you shouldn't have any devices around you when you go to sleep because they can really impact your circadian rhythms. And what's interesting to know is if you're on a like a PC or not so much Kindle but iPads and smartphones, the artificial blue light that emanates from those screens actually suppresses melatonin, the hormone melatonin. So that means that by at least 20 to 25 percent which means that you're there's more likelihood of you having a disturbed sleep pattern so 20 to 25 percent roughly is going to have a negative impact and a negative imprint on your sleep pattern that's a quarter that's That's a lot so that's that's something to 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 really consider if you which is obviously going to be exuberated if you or your children have insomnia. That will just exuberate the symptoms even more. Wow, and and it's a vicious circle because if you've got insomnia, you're not sleeping and you're going to find things to stimulate you or just to be doing something. Yes. So there's a chance that you're going to turn on some technology in order to try and get to sleep. Yes, and this is what I was saying just before we went to the break. You know, our tech habits deny our brains that important downtime. You know, and in that downtime is our ability for very deep thinking and critical analysis. Uh, So that is reduced due to the exposure, basically. So that is something that maybe people, your listeners, you know, they could think about that if they're having issues around sleep. Yeah, I think it's this thing of taking time, permissive time, Mm. to actually pause with digital stuff. Uh, Unless you implement it, bring it into your world as this is something I must do, it won't happen. Mm. Because you'll go with the current. Yeah, exactly. You go with the habits. Yes. And so I, I think first thing in the morning, how many of my listeners actually turn their phone on the minute they get up? Never mind turn their phone on. How many have not turned it off overnight? Exactly. And how many have it beside them, underneath their pillow, just a little bit away from them? Mm. You know, they're not putting it in a separate room. So there's this attachment to it. There's the attachment into the back of the head that I was talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah, it's like being plugged in. We plugged it. You can't do without it. Mm. And I wonder how much of it is a societal thing because if you're an emergency service or you're in a a job that means you have to be contacted once upon a time it would literally be your house phone 
Yeah. The house phone would ring next to you. True. And that would be it. But well, now we had a pager. We had a pager. In, in right. the old days. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should bring back the pager. pager I don't I know. Or, or a variation of the yes, pager. Yes. But now you've got to be plugged into that phone 24 7 if that's the nature of your work. Mm. So how are we disconnecting if you're in that industry? Mm. So how is society supporting this way of moving forwards? Well, I don't think it is. I don't I don't think it I you know what we have to remember here is that there's a lot of money and investment and politics and economics around this technology. And the only way that we are going to change some of the approaches to have this technology in our lives is to become actively aware of actually what is really going on. You know, I went to this event on Monday uh, that the new statesman was running and it was all about man versus machine, AI regulation in the UK. Uh, It was a very interesting morning. I had to take the afternoon to recover because for me what i heard and what i saw were all my worst thoughts and perceptions manifesting true in front of my eyes and i always like to try and take an objective view a balanced view you know that's something that i learned thankfully when i went back to university is you know you look at the you, you know you try and pull your own hypothesis apart you know you're trying to prove your hypothesis and then disprove it at the same sure, time sure. you know that's what to make sure it has weight yeah to make sure it has weight um and that it's worthy topic to explore i think that we need to adopt the same approach when it comes to understanding what ai is you know there's 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 uh, there's artificial intelligence which is you know our smartphones and our echoes and self-driving cars for example in 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 the very what what some would say the mediocre stage but then the other part of ai is greater ai and that is the area that has the potential to completely change our lives it will lying within that greater intelligence is the possibility that one day machines will be smarter than us they will exceed our intelligence because when we look at processing uh, uh, processing data for example that's why a lot of universities and when i was talking to these guys last night you know to get the to, to get the amount of research you need to prove something you have to you have to process hundreds of data sets which for a human we can't process that information that's why ai is being used uh not greater intelligence ai but ai is being used in nhs and it's used for a lot of medical um companies that are carrying out research you know that that is a positive right because we it would take us years to process that information but then we have to look at the flip side of that what 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 does that mean for us as as humans that we're we're building intelligent software because ai is not machine it is machine learning and this is where it gets very blurry and i won't bore your readers with this but you know there's ai there's machine learning and there's deep learning and there are they're all interconnected but they're all they all work differently um but what we need to be aware of is these distinctions between what ai means what greater intel greater ai means or greater intelligence means so gi 
what is machine learning and what is deep learning? Machine learning now is used, is embedded within a lot of HR uh, departments within big companies. But what we're doing is we're losing that human connection. You know, these machine, the, the algorithms process r not random questions, a certain set of questions. They know that the, they know the answers. That's already been programmed into them. And you know, just going a bit way out there, they're using this, they're using AI in parole sentencing in the US. So whether someone gets parole or not is dependent on how their answers fit to the AI algorithm, which I think is very dangerous because you're not allowing human empathy to come into that judgment. Yeah. At the moment, AI doesn't have that ability, but I think that it won't be too long before, and in Japan, they're already doing that where they're running trials where they're embedding elements of empathy mm -hmm. and connection within AI within the software of AI and then they embed that into a structure yeah. um, it was so it's a film that, that did that I can't remember the name of the film but. but what was really interesting was on the Monday after so on Monday after seeing that on Monday night I was like wow okay I looked at Sky and they were re-showing Terminator 3 well, yeah, you know, because there's a new Terminator coming. That's why. And it's really interesting because if you that those movies now are more relevant than they were when they made them. Yes, because they were. I think they were training us for the future. In all honesty. Yeah, me too, and I absolutely agree with that. And to me, when I watch Terminator Three, to me, it is what will happen if we don't get a handle on this regulation. Yeah. And we cannot just rely on the politicians for this. You know, we can't, we all need to ask questions. You know, there was a huge debate on data and one proposal that would happen globally with data. I, I, I was, just, I'm not even going to go there because I don't, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't want to get political, but it's a worry. It's a worry that companies are going to be bidding each other for our data and to what purpose right. you know that's the way that it could go well well people within the community who have this this passion for appreciating and understanding and wanting to make change in this arena like yourself you are the ones who would need to be in parliament because you would be advocating for those of us who actually w were in it, but we don't really know much about it. Agreed, agreed. And then we think about, you know, for me, I'm looking at that from a wellness perspective. And I spoke to um, a lady called Kay, who is heads up the World Econo Economic Forum based in Geneva. Well, she's based in San Francisco, but the organization is based in uh, Geneva and they have global offices throughout the world. And this is all about regulation of AI in our society, you know, from crop, you know, from farming to medical, but no one. And when I spoke to her about this after the event, and she said, you know, there's nobody doing or looking at the wellness perspective of what the AI changes to society are bringing. Right. So she said, I think, you know, you're really onto something that's something that we also need to take into consideration. Mm. I mean, we've gone slightly off the dopamine, but I think that's an we, important... I think it is, and it's great that we've just naturally gone there. Um, 
I want to talk about the dopamine because yes. this this is so integral, I think, to the creative being and the ability to step into their genius. If they don't step away from the technology and allow the processes of the brain to replenish, restore and do what they need to do, then there's no way they can create. Exactly. And so I'd love to be able to find out more from you for the listeners to be able to understand the impact of how it's affecting our dopamine levels. To me, for my research, dopamine is one of the hormones and neurotransmitters that is the most affected by using technology. Well, let's tell the listeners what dopamine does. So dopamine is a a hormone and a neurotransmitter, and it it plays several different important, well, vital roles in the brain and body. Um, But it's also, it's worth remembering that it's a molecule that our body naturally um, produces. The substance actually contributes to creativity and inspiration, as well as attention, our attention span, learning, motivation, and addiction. So just on the last one, addiction, we can start to see then why dopamine is affected by digital dependency and addiction. Mm. Um, Because addiction in general is one of those um, traits that dopamine feeds, basically. Yeah, it's reward, isn't it? Yeah, it's reward. You know, and and yeah, I mean, it's, it's very scary. It's very scary. I can go into a little bit more detail, but I'm going to simplify it. Okay, thank you. So, like you said, dopamine is tied into our reward center. So, for example, if if you've had prolonged exposure to, to a screen or a device, you might feel inspired but it goes to your state of mind and it goes to what else you've got going on we have to bear that in mind because Mm -hmm. some people are more vulnerable than others Mm -hmm. but one possible uh one possible thing that you might experience or notice should i say is that over a prolonged period of time you might not be you might not be able to generate or get interested in anything um, like specific activities, like if someone asks you to go and play tennis or go and play football, you 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 may find a tendency to withdraw from that. You also may not, or you may notice your interest in certain topics that you were once interested. That's what I'm getting to. That you were once interested in before start to diminish as well. Um, so that then signifies that the dopamine levels are decreasing in your prefrontal cortex and if this happens your brain won't be able to to feel the motivation or the inspiration and more importantly it won't be able to remember the facts of what was presented to you or the stimuli that was presented to you in the first place that got you interested in the first place in a particular um, subject. So there's a sense of numbing here. Yeah, that's it's one way of putting it. I call it I call it neuronumbing. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I call it neuronumbing. Yeah. I mean, it's probably digital numbing, but it is neuronumbing. But it's it the nerves, neuro- isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So you, it's effectively the impulses, the, yeah. the communications, all of that. You're stuff. decreasing the you're decreasing the the firing between. Uh, you know certain neurons in the brain that are responsible for these areas so yeah it is like a numbing it's like and 
to me what's really important with this is that for me i see the areas of the brain not just not talking about dopamine but when you look at the areas of the brain that are affected by this technology there and i was having this conversation with somebody on monday as well my what i would like to do a research project on with a group of neuroscientists are does this mean then that the areas of the brain here that are suffering and basically burning out and not being able to regenerate and i think we touched upon this in the last show does that mean that in the generation that's grown up with technology so not you and me mm. but the younger generation mm. i know we're not that old mm. but the younger generation right does that mean they're going to be more predisposed to dementia early on that dementia? was exactly what i was thinking i was thinking alzheimer's alzheimer's yes. dementia dementia yes. Yeah, because there is this wearing away within dementia yes. that, as we know, is irreversible and there's no cure yeah, for it at the exactly. moment. But it's just that myelin sheath, isn't it? Yeah. That wearing away of it. Yeah, exactly. The numbing down, the dumbing down. Yeah. And if we look at scans where you're not as active, there's it's like a blue. Yes. It's, it's kind of bluish isn't it was when it's red it's very very active yeah so that then says to me that you're kind of dying inside yeah. mentally yeah yeah because there's no activity going yeah. on there exactly exactly and and one of the um one of the one of the authors that is going to write a few lines for my back cover um dr lisa Moscone. she's the head of women's integrative health um in new york and she, all of her work is around Alzheimer's. Okay. The gut, the brain, Alzheimer's, dementia, mm. menopause, mm. from a woman's perspective. Mm -hmm. And she, you need to go and check her stuff out if mm. I'm talking to any females. What's her name again? Dr. Lisa Moscone. Okay. She has just done a really good article on menopause and Alzheimer's. Okay. And that makes very interesting reading. And again, it goes back to sort of this event I was at last night. We're talking about lifestyle. You know, the impact of lifestyle on our DNA. Yeah, yeah. Moving forwards. Definitely. So dopamine and definitely is... is So going back to your question, to get a little bit more into it, but make it really simplified. Sure. We've said that dopamine affects creativity and attention. But when your dopamine levels are at the right, at the right levels, should I say, um, it allows you, you'll find that your mind won't wander off so much. So it allows you to keep more focused and pay attention. How do you know the right doing. levels, Serena? So if you're, so if you're, if you've got decreased dopamine levels, you're gonna find it very hard to focus. Yeah. And sustain your attention on one particular thing. Mm -hmm. So that's an indication if it's if it's consistent, if you're experiencing that consistently, and yes, it could be contributed to other factors, but if you are using a lot of technology, then that might signify to you that you may have an issue with the dependency on the technology because it is impacting your ability to sustain your focus. And that goes back to the media multitasking as well. I'm going to need to bring this into a really succinct place now, unfortunately, because we're coming very close to the end of the show. And from there, 
if that is you, if you are noticing that you're not focusing, what are the solutions that we have? What are the ways that we can prevent or just uh, put at bay, uh, uh, pause our in- the interference? Because one of the things that I'm thinking about and from our conversation is that we, are, we will actually be living in a false world. This thing about the world we live in now isn't sufficient because we're in a world that is so much better because it's so much more advanced Mm -hmm. and it's way ahead of us. So when we come back to our own world, who are we and and are we happy with ourselves and do we actually want to be there? So we're taking on this massive pseudo of technology, embracing it because it just makes us feel better. And, and it gives us a, a fix. Yeah, completely, which is what we're talking about, this addictive nature mm. towards it. So we want to, ideally, until you're in Parliament, <laughs> <laughs> we want to be able to take control ourselves <laughs> until we have someone there speaking on our behalf. So how do we do that? What is it that we need to do? We've got literally less than a minute now. I think definitely having regular breaks and making sure you include a digital detox, a weekly digital detox from devices is definitely important to improve your sight and sleep. Um, Balancing your social interactions in person with virtual interactions is very important as well because it takes us away from the falsehood falsehood of uh, of being virtual. Mm. Um, The other thing that I would suggest, which is really good for cognition, is to force yourselves at least a few times a week to write with pen and paper. Oh, I love that. So balance writing with pen and paper as well as being on your devices because that will help your memory and your cognition Mm. and also your spatial awareness. Uh, Movement and meditation, obviously. Well, movement and meditation, something like that. Great. We've got to finish there. Thank you so much, Salima. It's been such a pleasure, uh, as always. And thank you, creative listeners, for just tuning in and just checking out how you can support your own mental health moving forwards. Do catch yet last week the last show with with Salima on Anchor.fm. Catch all of my creative shows and do catch me next week because I can't wait to be here. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. And until then, keep creating.